Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. If you would please open your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're in the last chapter, chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5. This is God's Word. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Peter is wrapping up his letter. He's writing to people uh, and trying to address the various needs within this group that he's writing to. If you'll recall at the start of it, he said, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad, 
They were not all in one place. But he knew there were a variety of circumstances as they lived in various places. <clears throat> and there was, the reason they'd been dispersed was because of persecution. And so all through this letter, he's been talking with them about suffering and how to respond to suffering and not being surprised by suffering and how to endure it and give glory to God in the midst of it. As he concludes now in chapter 5, he has a special word of instruction for those who are shepherds or leaders, elders, pastors in the various churches. Because wherever the body of Christ goes, one of the things that is needful is to have those whom God places in a position of leadership. A lot of folks think they don't need that. And, and the approach to church is a consumer mindset where basically I'm going to go, uh, I'm trying to remember now who I recently heard saying that, uh, he said, most of the people who come to my church on any given Sunday, I'm one of three churches they go to. He said, they go to this church for the children's program, they go to this church for the music, and they go to this church for the teaching. And he said, and they kind of just move around back and forth because it's all what they're in the mood for, what they're feeling a need for at that time. And, and it's, it's just like you'd change the channel on a TV. That's not the New Testament picture of the church. The New Testament picture of a church is, includes certainly taking care of the needs of the members, which would include child care. That ought to be part of the function of the church. That doesn't all look the same in every church as to how that is done. But there certainly needs to be thought for caring for those who have children. Okay? Then, the music, the worship time. That's very important. It's something that matters to God. And then, the preaching and teaching. That's supposed to be an essential part of our time together. By the way, I would add to that the celebration of what God has done at the cross, which the early church, when they got together, celebrated by taking communion and dining together. Those are ways in which the church's love for the Lord is expressed. But also, if you look at the New Testament, Wherever the church was, there were those who were put in leadership, those who were given responsibility to care for the flock, to guard against false doctrine, and to encourage people and equip them so that they might do ministry. The church should be in the process of multiplication so that the people are not just getting more and more and more and more and more and more information, but they're being equipped to do ministry themselves. Not that everybody is supposed to become a shepherd, but everybody ought to be a witness in their own way for the gospel. Now, when he writes to these folks, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. In other, he could have said as an apostle, but he says, I want you to know I'm one of you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. 
What should an elder do? Shepherd God's flock among you. Now, where did that idea become very, very real and powerful in uh, Peter's life? If you look at the end of John's Gospel, Peter, who had been a commercial fisherman, left his nets and followed Jesus with the promise of Jesus, you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus used a fishing metaphor to describe what he was going to do in Peter's life. But in the last story in John's Gospel, Jesus has died, Jesus is risen, and now Jesus meets with his disciples by the sea where they've gone fishing again. After the meal, after the breakfast of fish, Jesus talks with Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, then take care of my sheep. Now that's a new metaphor. Jesus, hadn't, Jesus had used that to describe himself. But now he's saying to Peter, I want you to be a shepherd. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And Peter becomes a great shepherd. Now he's an under-shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and he speaks of that here. But he says to the elders, your job is as a pastor. The word pastor means shepherd. You need to shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion. Don't do this as if you're being forced or your arm is being twisted. But doing willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money. It is appropriate to pay the pastor, by the way. But the pastor is not supposed to be doing what he's doing for the money. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And not lording it over those entrusted to you. Not trying to keep people under your thumb and build their dependence on you and basically bully people. But being examples to the flock. Show folks how it's done. Do it and tell it in such a way that people realize, I can do that. I've told you before, the goal of my preaching is not for you to say, wow, I could just never have gotten that out of the text. The goal of my preaching is for you to see what the text says and say, wow, that is what it says. Because if you have that experience over and over, what should dawn on you is what I explicitly tell you from time to time, and that is God's Word has the answer. God's Word has the power. And if you will go to the Scriptures, God will speak to you. And the job of a shepherd is to shepherd willingly, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not in order to lord it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. What's the point of an example? It's not for people to say, oh, oh, 
I could never do that. An example is somebody who shows you how to do it so that you can do it. You understand? Learn to trust God. How much does God love me? So much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. How much does God love you? So much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. He loves you. He doesn't just love me. He loves you. And you can trust him. And you can obey him, even when it's hard, even when it's scary. You can do the right thing. You, with God's power, can do the right thing. Folks, it's a great privilege for me to be able to come each evening and bring God's Word on these stations. I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to do that. But if you listen regularly, you know that my life day-to-day is involved in trying to minister to kids who come from very difficult situations. I want to ask you to please help us. Contact us at wvr.org and find out how you can be part of the miracle. wvr.org. Please help us help these children. To step out of my comfort zone into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is. So, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then he speaks, having said this to the pastors, he speaks to the younger folks who are in the flock. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Did you hear that? Be subject to the elders. That means it is appropriate for you to have people in your life who can give you direction and you take it seriously and seek to implement it. This is also largely missing from the modern American church. And that is not a good thing. We ought to be a people who love one another profoundly and for whom the idea of submission to elders is not scary. One of the reasons why it is very scary for many people is because there have been a lot of horrible, even unsaved shepherds, pastors, elders, who have been abusive, who have used their position in order to mistreat the flock. And all I can say is, God will deal with that. That is absolutely an abomination, and tragically, it is widespread. No one has authority to command you to do something that God forbids, or to forbid you doing what God commands. If any authority figure tries to get you to do things that God says are wrong, you don't need to struggle. I just read the testimony of a woman about a week or two ago, who said that when she was a young Christian, the pastor, who she really looked up to, began seducing her and abusing her sexually. And she said, and I was confused because I admired him so much, and he was telling me that this was, this was a good thing because it met his needs. 
Okay, well, I would suggest that pastor ought to look forward to a long, toasty future. But I would suggest to you, please don't ever think for a nanosecond that somebody who's trying to get you to do what God forbids is someone who you need to wrestle with and consider, maybe, maybe I should do this. When it says submit to the elders, it's not suggesting you do whatever they say. It's saying you do what they say as they teach you to obey God, to obey his word. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Okay, if God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, doesn't it just make sense that we would want to be humble? Well, what does it mean to humble yourself? It means you become a servant. You can't get a clearer picture than Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and was a servant and obedient even to the point of death on the cross. You don't get a clearer picture than Jesus meeting with his disciples when none of them would do what needed to be done and even wash their own feet, much less someone else's. Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around himself, and began to wash the disciples' feet. That wasn't just some lovely, esoteric ritual. It was something that needed to be done. And so Jesus did it. And he said, do you see what I've done for you? This is the way you're supposed to treat each other. So, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. What a comfort that is. I don't know what's bugging you this morning. I don't know what's troubling you. I don't know what you're concerned about. But whatever it is, it doesn't say, you know, you can cast some of your cares on the Lord. It says, cast all your cares on him. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. That means think in a focused way. Be alert. Recognize what's going on. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering is being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You're not the only one suffering. And the devil wants to use that suffering to try and tear you down. It doesn't say resist suffering. It says resist the devil. Don't let him exploit the situation and cause you to doubt God or to turn away from the Lord and seek your own sinful pleasures. Instead, recognize that his plan for you is to mess you up. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But he can't just run up and swat you. Instead, he gets you to do it to yourself. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So you need to be sober-minded and alert. You need to resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that other people are suffering all around the world. But the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. In other words, temporarily you're going through tough times. But this isn't the way it's going to be forever. You're going to get through the suffering and God is going to personally take care of you. Restoring, establishing, strengthening, and supporting you. So to him, to God, be dominion forever. Amen. Now what is dominion? That means the kingdom. He's in charge. He rules and reigns. So whatever's going on, don't be afraid. God's still on the throne. Then he says, through Silas, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The reason I wrote to you is because I wanted you to be secure in your faith. And he speaks of Silas, or Silvanus, as, it's, as it is in the Greek. Um, this is the same guy, undoubtedly, who was with the Apostle Paul in the Philippian jail. Silas was frequently mentioned in the book of Acts. And it is very likely that that's the Silas he's referring to here. And he says, he, he helped me write this. Now, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was spoken by Peter. But um, Silas may have served as the scribe and probably as the one who brought the letter and made copies and spread it around to the believers in various places. He says, stand firm in the grace of God. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. That would be the church in Rome, undoubtedly where Peter was, but he speaks euphemistically, calling that corrupt place Babylon, because Babylon is going to fall, and Rome did. Chosen together with you, there are believers there. They send you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Again, this would be John Mark, who gave us Mark's gospel, but Mark obviously spent time with Peter, And just as Timothy is referred to by Paul as being his son, because it was his son in the faith, Peter is saying that he's like a son to me. Greet one another with a kiss of love. I don't have time to say everything that I believe the Lord would have us say about this this morning, but let me just give you a brief little statement. If the church did a better job of expressing love through physical affection among its members, non-sexual, just affection, I think there would be a lot fewer people looking for physical contact 
and affection in illegitimate ways. I'm not going to dwell on that this morning, but just to plant a seed, I think we need to start looking at our culture in light of Scripture and realizing our culture is messed up. And that is largely the influence of the Anglo-Saxon people, of which I'm one. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. That's how he concludes his letter. I pray that you will know the peace of God that is in Christ Jesus. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.